Hi, you're listening to an older episode. The podcast is now called Travel Writing World. You can find the episode show notes and much more at travelwritingworld.com. This is Jeremy Bassetti, and you're listening to All Over the Place, a podcast on travel, culture, and the creative life. This episode takes us to Denver, Colorado, where I speak with Gabriel Sherm on walking the Camino de Santiago in northern Spain and being an independent author. You can find the episode's show notes, including links to his books, website, and social media profiles at alloverthepodcast.com. Without further ado, enjoy the conversation with Gabe Sherm. Gabe, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Just uh, just hanging out here in Denver, Colorado, uh, waiting for the snow. <laughs> nice. It's uh, pretty chilly there. Yeah, it's been it's been a little chilly, but uh, tomorrow it's Colorado, so you never know. It could be uh, could be summer again. <laughs> so, um, can you just for the listeners tell us a little bit about um, who you are and 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 what what you do? Yeah, so uh, so I'm Gabriel Sherm, um, and I am a I do a lot of things. So so I'm a writer. I travel. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur. So I've started several businesses this year, um, and uh, yeah, I. I, I I definitely subscribe to the freedom lifestyle where I basically, um, I quit my job about three years ago and, and haven't looked back. So, uh, I'm definitely living a creative life and trying to, uh, create things that are interesting to me and that other people will hopefully get something from. Nice. What, what kind of businesses do you run? Yeah. So, so the first business that I started was a, a small agency that did, um, uh, publishing for, for small, small time authors. So trying to help other authors, uh, get published, write more, um, started several, you know, meetups in Denver and, and things like that to help mm-hmm. authors out. Another business I started was, was, uh, doing Google grant, um, uh, pay-per-click advertising to help nonprofits, uh, get the most. There's, there's a program through Google that helps nonprofits with free ads. So, uh, basically, uh, learned how to do that and started a business and, and, uh, have been doing that for a while, actually. Um, so yeah, anything that will allow me to do things I most enjoy. Right. Which, <laughs> Those are the types of businesses I start. Yeah. <laughs> so do you find yourself, um, relatively free, have, have the Liberty lifestyle that you uh, had hoped for or that you're designing to have? Yes. You know, it's, it's really interesting. So, um, a lot of people, I think, can probably attest to that that have quit their jobs. Um, I designed this lifestyle where I would be able to travel and write and do the things that I, I wanted to do more and, and uh, spend the time with people that I wanted to spend time with. Uh, after about six months, um, I was working from home. <laughs> and uh, I typically work or I write in the mornings for a couple of hours and then I do uh, business projects for another couple of hours and typically work about five hours a day. Um, and after that, there's sort of a void <laughs> where you, everyone else is working, which I didn't expect. And it, you have to sort of figure that out as you go um, and fill those things. It's a great problem to have, but start to fill those things with 
um, other things that you're passionate about when most of the most of the world is still working, right? <laughs> From three o'clock to, to five or, or what have you. Um, so it's been a challenge that I didn't expect uh, with the creative lifestyle. Um, but at the same time, when I'm, for example, up in Crested View, Colorado in the mountains, um, I'm able to work up there when I want. I'm able to, you know, go fly fishing in the afternoon or, or do things that I learn how to cook or, you know, I, I'm interested in becoming a small sommelier just for fun because I'm into wine. Nice, nice. <laughs> um, just, just to pursue things like that, uh, it's been totally worth it. But it's an adjustment. It's definitely an adjustment. It's not a, a 100% fairy tale when you when you quit your job and create all of this free time. You have to find something to fill that free time, which has been a surprising challenge for me. <laughs> it's, an, it's, it's a problem that I imagine retirees having, right? Uh, trying to fill their time. What will I do exactly. today? Exactly. Right, right. Well, good. You've, exactly. uh, you've retired early. <laughs> I guess I have, right? <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, so we're going to talk a little bit about about travel, um, but I, I wanted to prime the pump a little bit and and just um, you know, dig a little bit into your background and ask you uh, what what your experience is with with travel. Um, did you do any study abroad uh, uh, programs when you're in, in university, etc.? Yeah, absolutely. So my first taste of travel uh, was with a, a program called Up With People. It's been around for a long time. Um, and basically, they take uh, take young people around the world for a year, and you do volunteer work and stay with host families and travel with a group of um, participants from uh, about 20 other countries. So it's a really interesting experience. That was my first uh, plane ride and trip out overseas uh, when I was 18. I'd never been on an airplane before. Um, so that's how it all started, and, and the travel bug, uh, as, as most people will attest to, bit me. Um, and after that, I, I decided uh, freshman year of college that summer, I went to Scotland by myself and, and wanted to learn how to cook. So I got a job at a at a, at a little restaurant in, in Edinburgh. I uh, lived there for the summer in Scotland um, and uh, traveled throughout college just, you know, just for fun and backpacking and Eventually, uh, everything led to senior year of college. I've done a lot of broadcasting, uh, worked in radio, worked for Kiss FM for a while, and that all led to an opportunity to work for the Travel Channel. Um, and so my first job out of college was, uh, I was called a, a travel uh, 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 travel journalist. <laughs> so I got to go around, and um, the show was called Five Takes, uh, and I was the food and music guy on the show, so I got to go around. The Pacific Rim was where we were assigned. Oh. Um and report on our experiences in, in that area of the world. Uh, my And my take uh, of the show was uh, to, to look at the food and music of where we were going. And it was, it was five of us total on that show. Hence and each the of us five takes. Different sort of, yeah, exactly, exactly. So did that. Um, and uh, after that, did, uh, did the full-time job thing for a couple of years. And uh, my wife and I got married. Uh, my wife and I decided to move to Spain. <laughs> And do the Auxiliar de Conversación program uh, over in Spain, which I know you're familiar with. Right, so, that's, that's... Uh, opportunity to teach teach abroad uh, for for two years and, and live in a fantastic country. Nice. We'll, we'll we'll get to that in a minute because that's the the genesis of our story. That's where we met. Um, but this interests me. This uh, five takes experience that you that you had. You know, I'll admit I was trying to find some of the. Um, trying to trying to find f- some of the footage online and had a hard time finding it 
Although I did come across something um, <laughs> that involved you jumping into a, a ravine or a canyon of some sort. It was yeah. frightening experience. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was our uh, New Zealand, one of our New Zealand episodes. Um, yeah, exactly. So they uh, they took us uh, to the Nevis bungee jump uh, in New Zealand, and, and we uh, got to go out there and made high drama television. It was really <laughs> funny because I, I did not want to do that. That's not my cup of tea, but they, they kind of pushed it a little bit, and I didn't want to wimp out on television. Right. Um, so it was really funny. We, we got out there. They pushed me off the edge, and I jumped into the ravine. was really glad it was over with climbed back into this little small rickety little uh metal kind of cage in the middle of this valley where you jump from and uh walkie talkie i heard uh one of our cameramen uh say he's got to do it again we didn't get the shot <laughs> so <laughs> i had to actually jump twice so that they could get it uh on the show which was terrible i'll never do that again <laughs> was the second time more terrifying it was, and, and uh, they don't tell you this. I did it twice, and I busted the the blood vessels in my eyes because of the pressure. It's one of the tallest. I can't recall if it's the tallest in the world, but it's it's, it's a pretty darn long fall, uh, and I felt all the blood rush to my head. And the second time, my eyes weren't feeling right, and I finally looked in the mirror the next day, and all the whites of my my eyes were, were red because all of the blood vessels had bursted. So Jesus. that was not fun. <laughs> It doesn't sound like any sort of pleasure there. Yeah. I, 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 no. I I remember um, seeing somebody, I, I, I suppose one of your, your colleagues, one of the five, um, on the on the platform with you and, uh, you know, falling into hysterics. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a fun, it was, it, was, it was a crazy experience. I, would, I wouldn't do it again, but I'm glad I did, if that makes sense. <laughs> and so um, what happened with that show? Um, was it just a, a one season thing and then they have five other hosts? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was, it was a one season sign on. If it had it taken off, it had it done really, really well. Uh, it could have led to some other opportunities, but uh, it was <laughs> my five minutes of, of TV fame uh, were, were very short lived. It, it, uh, they they moved on to another cast the next uh, the next round. <laughs> yeah, but still, and I don't think the show actually exists anymore. So I couldn't find anything on it. But still, it's it's a nice feather in your cap. It's it's some real real experience, um, kind of in that in that world. And absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So um, and then so after that, you decided to apply for the language and culture assistance program um, to Spain, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, I was looking for an opportunity to go abroad again and, and to do a little bit more of a, a long-term travel opportunity and um, wanted to actually learn something. So uh, my wife and I wanted to learn Spanish since that would be pretty useful um, uh, in most places that you travel or in the United States and settled on Spain just because they have a really fantastic program. It's it's unlike anything we could find anywhere else. Um and an opportunity to have Europe as our backyard. Uh, we couldn't pass that up, uh, especially because you have a job before you even get there. So it takes a little bit of the stress out of the situation. Um, and uh, luckily, it was everything we thought it would be and, and a little bit more. So, <laughs> so uh, you you and Amy, uh, going, your wife, uh, going into the program, didn't did you speak any Spanish apart from Cerveza? Well, uh, <laughs> 
No. So you're supposed to. You're definitely supposed to. Um, and I, I'm my my mind is in this space right now because I'm writing an introductory chapter to uh, another book, and uh, this is interesting because yes, on the application, which I just looked back at it very recently, it definitely says you're you're supposed to have uh, at least a minimum basic level of Spanish. But uh, I definitely had none. Uh, my wife had very little, uh, so we fudged the application <laughs> and. Uh, Said we had a little bit more uh, of Spanish than we did, and ended up uh, basically learning Spanish from podcasts as much as possible before we got there. Um, and then during a quick uh, immersion program in Seville um, for a couple of weeks to really kind of live with a host family and make ourselves at least be able to get through our days <laughs> with a little bit of Spanish. Right. And so, wh- why did you pick Spain? Uh, we picked. We were looking at South America. We were looking at some other countries as well. But Spain has always been at the top of my list. I've I've heard a lot of great things about it. Um, it just you know, a lot of the cities in Andalusia in the south really appealed to me, and the lifestyle of Spain um, really appealed to me as well. So ultimately, we picked there over South America and Mexico because we wanted to explore Europe a little bit. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's that was the ultimate decision. And you were on the auxiliar program, the program in Spain for two years, true? Two years, yes, wow. exactly. The first year, first year we lived in a tiny little village in the middle of nowhere called Huerca Lavera in South Spain, uh, just really small town. And the second year we got to live in Granada, nice. which is uh, one of still one of my favorite places in the world. Very good. And I guess this is feeding into a lot of your kind of creative efforts now. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that uh, conversation. I want to kind of cycle back to, um, to Granada and the, you know, that the, the, the cornucopia of inspiration that that experience is, is giving us and, and you in particular. But um, before we go there, uh, let's kind of talk a little bit about the benefits of the auxiliar program. Like what, what, what do you say? And you can maybe speak for for Amy, if you, if you know anything, um, but what, what were some of the, the takeaways here from, from your experiences on that program? Uh, yeah, so, so absolutely. So for me, it was an opportunity to kind of step back and figure out what my next step was. Um, uh, I can say this now looking back at the time I, I was filled with a little bit more, uh, anxiety, but it was an opportunity for me to try to switch careers. Um, I was working in radio and was kind of tired of doing that in Denver. And this program offered that opportunity. And, and looking back on it, it definitely allowed me to make it a really drastic switch from only having experience in broadcasting, television, and radio to doing some other things involved with, um, you know, study abroad or travel programs, which have led to other opportunities as well, which have absolutely nothing to do with either of those. Right. <laughs> so it just allowed me to step back, take a, take a step back from my life and kind of see what, what's next. Um, and the great thing about the program is you work you know, maybe 14 hours a week, I believe is, was how, how much I worked, which is crazy. Um, so you have a lot of free time on your hands to kind of figure things out and, you know, sit in a square in, in, in Granada and, and think for a couple of hours or, meet people who are doing things you have never considered or the Spanish lifestyle, um, taking a little bit of pressure off your quote unquote career and and what you're supposed to do for your entire life. 
And a lot of people I met in Spain were, you know, just had a different outlook. Right. So I, that was the biggest takeaway for me for the experience and for the program was to, uh, you know, teach some, some, I, I taught adults. Um, my wife, Amy taught kids, um, teach a little bit. Uh, Amy got to travel. I, I had traveled a lot. She hadn't traveled much at all. So just to have that experience as well and get all of those, soak up all of those benefits of travel that you get when you, when you go. Right. So I was uh, kind of flipping through your Sunrises to Santiago book before this conversation. And, you know, there's references in there to uh, your your previous jobs as soul crushing and soul sucking. And it seems to be that this experience in Spain gave you, you know, ample time to think and to process, you know, your life and the steps that you're going to take uh, in continuation of that life. And very important. A lot of uh, people, at least in the United States, don't even have that that time to think, that, that quiet time to think. And I think that's extremely important to live a, a decent life of reflection and, and, and growth. Absolutely. Yeah, travel travel provides a space that sometimes you need to, to reflect on those things and, and move forward, whatever that direction might be. Right. And it seems to be that one of the running themes of your book uh, Sunrises to Santiago, which you wrote about your travels on the Camino de Santiago in the northern part of Spain and southern part of France. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That that was, uh, you know, fast forward two years after living in Spain, um, we decided to go back and walk walk the Camino. I need a little bit more uh, thinking time and direction. Um, and the Camino was supposed to be our big hurrah into our time living in Spain. And, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the big takeaways from the Camino or travel experiences, obviously, is that things don't go according to plan a lot of times and you have to try to change things. So a day before we were supposed to go on the Camino de Santiago while living in Spain, Amy, uh, we were, we had a goodbye party and we were dancing and she fractured her fibula. (laughs) So we couldn't go. Uh, So we had to wait a couple of years to get the opportunity to take a month off again and uh, do that walk and, and kind of search for purpose uh, and why exactly my, my goal was to figure out why I'm on the planet <laughs> and figure out what, what am I supposed to, what, what's the difference I'm supposed to be making while I'm here. And so did you find that out? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, uh, it's in a way that I didn't expect. So I was looking for like a concrete answer, right? My purpose on this planet is to, um, you know, cure cancer, <laughs> which is ridiculous because I'm not a doctor, obviously. But uh, just for example, I was, I was looking for something really concrete and, and I'm going to finish this Camino de Santiago and then I'm going to go home and I'm going to get after it. I'm going to do this big thing and I'm going to change the world. Um, and the perspective that I got while I was on the Camino and the people that I met um, made me realize that uh, in most of my anxiety had come from wanting to do something really big, you know, huge, life-changing, cure climate change or, or fix climate change or, or cancer or, you know, alleviate poverty for a country. Um, whereas a lot of the things and a lot of the people that I met and the small gifts that they gave me as you're walking the community, Santiago, a little bit of that uh, Camino magic, um, uh, you know, kind of brought me down to a micro level of purpose of simply being kind to others and, and uh, trying to be that, that person uh, that goes throughout the day, whether that's at home or on the road or 
are just those little small things that you can do to try to uh, better the world in a really, really small way. Um, and for me, that has been pretty rewarding. It's hard to remember that. But uh, mm. uh, for me, that's kind of what my purpose has kind of gravitated towards, uh, especially with a little bit of distance between that experience, writing a book and thinking about it, and then coming in, uh, you know, up until now. So I found it just not in the way that I thought it would. Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking here, and it seems to me that the, the experience of the Camino itself could give those insights, but also... Uh, perhaps the experience of writing the book about the experience on the Camino seems to be a part of that narrative of of, of giving back uh, to the world. And it seems to me very much so that the, the 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 creative process attached to that you know quest is very much part of that narrative that you're speaking about. Absolutely, yeah. The creative process was very therapeutic. So. You know, people write for many reasons. For me, I write when I when I need to and I have to and need to process something. Um, and that has grown as, you know, since this book came out. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was absolutely a way to sort of process that, uh, hoping that somebody else would get something out of that. Or I know a lot of people experience that anxiety when they're switching careers or, mm. or you know, uh, people just graduating college trying to figure out what to do with their life or picking a major or Uh, retiring or, you know, whatever stage of life that is. So that was my intent was to hopefully when I read books that really resonate with me, it makes you feel a little less alone. Uh, Okay. I'm not crazy. You know, (laughs) things like that. And it's been great. I mean, I've gotten many, you know, many messages uh, of people that have read it and got something out of it. So that's really, really rewarding. Yeah. That's, it's better than money in many cases, right. To have that sort of uh, feedback positive reports. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned um, reading other books that inspire you and connect you with the narratives of others. Do you, can you recall any off the top of your head, which ones really resonate with you? Um, this obviously is, is not my experience, but a book I, I recently read that I loved, which is pretty famous, obviously, is Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. That mm. was a really great book. I love that book. Um, I've, I read it a couple of times. <laughs> um, so experiences like that, that book's great. What, what are some of my other ones? Um, I love just ex- reading, uh, I read a couple other Camino books. There's there's a few out there. Um, um, a Million Small Steps, I believe, was one of them. Um, and that one was really great as well. I read that before I walked the Camino and started, started to get my head around what we were about to do. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't matter if it's a, it's a big famous book or, or, or just uh, – little niches and areas that you're interested in doing those those are a couple that i really liked mm, yeah the the frankel book the man's search for meaning is uh is a extremely popular one and i haven't read that in many many years but it seems to be a very optimistic book in the sense that you know man at his or non-gendered man right people in general when they are in very difficult situations can still find purpose or still find meaning and this is analogous to I don't want to equate it with walking the Camino, but, um, you know, concentration camps, walking the Camino, two different <laughs> things here, but it yeah, seems that, sure. um, even on the Camino, there is, there is a sort of struggle, right. And the growth that comes out of that struggle, I think is something that people, uh, are drawn to in many ways. Exactly. I mean, it's physically painful. I mean, obviously I'm not comparing it to what Victor Frankel went through, but, um, uh, and, you know, when you walk the Camino and, 
you meet a lot of people that are going through some really serious things. Like, you know, uh, one of the guys I talk about in, in the book, um, his daughter had committed suicide a week before. And the only thing that he could think to do was to go lock the community of Santiago because it was such a deep level of raw pain, uh, which I, I understand. He just decided to go to um, Spain and, and walk this. He was an American guy. I think he was from California. So that, that you meet a lot of people and you're just, you know, you wake up in the morning and sun's coming up and you know, it's just you out there with, in my case, with, with Amy, my wife, and a guy kind of slowly catches up with you after an hour and you get to talking and, and he drops that, that information and it's just incredible. Um, so you get a lot out of that, just seeing other people's, the human experience and helping you put things in perspective in your own life or finding that you're not really alone, no matter where anybody's from, especially in the Camino, which is such a, you know, draws such a crowd from all over the world. Right. And despite its uh, kind of religious origins, right, this, uh, it's a religious pilgrimage route, essentially, which we can talk about the history in a minute. But it seems to be, that, you know, if people aren't going on the, on the route for religious purposes, uh, they're doing it for, it seems, uh, cultural purposes or spiritual purposes or... Uh, you know, for a way to kind of overcome some sort of demon or some sort of hardship that that they en- encountered in their lives, and you know that even if you're non-religious, you know, helps you see something universal about the human condition that you don't see, say, on a walk to I don't know the store, <laughs> right, or a walk <laughs> in, in the park, right? There's something I don't want to okay. say special about the walk itself. Um, but there are special reasons why people go on the walk. And for some reason or another, um, historically, culturally, you know, this is a, a walk that thousands of people go on each year to have questions answered or to try and answer questions, try to resolve some sort of hardships or, or issues. And I think that's uh, something unique and, and, and very, uh, very interesting, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, do you know anything about the history of the Camino? Yeah, so uh, it's been, a, forgive me if I get a few um, a few of these uh, things wrong. It's been a while since I've I read my, my book and intro, which I included a brief history of the Camino. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, uh, um, St. James, the, who's the patron saint of Spain, um, he, he was, uh, basically, he went down to Jerusalem and he was, beheaded by uh, King Herod, I believe, uh, or a king, whoever was king down there at that time. Um, So uh, he became a martyr. His followers took him on a boat all the way back up to in the area of of, uh, Galicia. Um, And basically his body was carried to a field where, uh, which is near today, uh, the city of of Santiago de Compostela. um, And he was forgot about for a long time, um, for, for hundreds of years, until um, a shepherd, uh, Paleo, I believe was his name, uh, did, the story goes, he saw a light, uh, a star, uh, the light of a star led him to this field where he discovered the remains of St. James, um, or rediscovered the remains of St. James. And basically his remains are today in the church, the big cathedral, in Santiago de Compostela. Um, so that's kind of the birth of the, the pilgrimage. It was one of the biggest pilgrimages, one of the biggest, the top three pilgrimages in Europe for, for you know, thousands of years, and today continues to grow. It's bigger than ever. 
Um, but that's very, very brief history. <laughs> that's one of the stories. There's several stories, um, but that's kind of the main narrative, I guess, uh, that you'll hear most people talk about. Uh, and when you actually get to Santiago de Compostela today, you, you go into the church and you go downstairs and you actually kneel before uh, this little silver casket that is supposed to contain the remains of, of uh, St. James. Mm, wow. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm deeply uh, skeptical of, of, of claims like those, but um, sure. you know, despite, yeah. despite those, I mean, it, millions of people believe this narrative and go on the walks because they believe it to be true. And, you know, based on that fact alone, it should be taken as something that uh, we should treat very seriously, um, not because perhaps it's not true, but because people believe it to be true. Uh, and that's a very sure. powerful thing. Yeah, there was a part of the reason why I'm a little bit skeptical is because at that time of the European history, right, it was very common for uh, for people to find uh, relics, right, and to put relics in, mm-hmm. in churches to to draw a crowd, essentially, right. You can find the foreskin of Jesus <laughs> in some churches, a right. little pinky toe of Mary or something, uh-huh. right. Um, sure. And, I, I, you know, the, the skeptic in me wants to say that this is part of that tradition. Uh, but man, you know, since the 12th century or something, people have been flocking to this church along this route to to have this sort of spiritual or religious connection or experience. And that's something not to be um, to, to be laughed at or to be taken lightly. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, I'm on the same same page as you for sure. But uh yeah, it's, it's, you have to respect it, even if, you know, uh, I would say, I, I don't know the, the stats this year, but it's it can be a pretty even mix of people walking for religious purposes and, and people just walking for, you know, to, to kind of, as I did, find your purpose or whatever that reason might be. And there are definitely people still, uh, a lot of people uh, walking for those religious purposes. So uh, as with all travel, got to respect that. Right. I'm at the, um, the website of the uh, Camino right now, and I'm pulling up the statistics for 2017, and it says here that uh, 43% of all of the walkers, which in 2017 was, let's see here, 300,000. Uh, so uh-huh. 43% walked for religious purposes, uh, and 47% walked for religious cultural purposes, whatever that means. <laughs> I don't know how they make that distinction there. Um, and a mere 9% traveled for only cultural uh, purposes. So I don't know where they're throwing right. spiritual connections, uh, uh, sorry, spiritual um, reasons or, you know, tragedy, personal tragedy. I don't know where they're putting that in, in in that mix, but it seems like, you know, you're right. A majority of the walkers are going for religious purposes. Yeah, yeah, and it's tough. you you get to the the uh, this office that, of the site that you're on for the, the oficina de acogido al peregrino, um, and you basically to get your little certificate that says you walked Camino de Santiago. They ask you at the desk, "Why did you walk?" <laughs> and they give you those three options. So, um, you know, we, mm. we we picked the cultural and religious. Although I, I'm not very religious, but uh, you know. I, I definitely um, had, you know, sort of a spiritual experience, if you could call it that. So that's the that's the box I checked. I think a lot of people do that, <laughs> right. unless you know you're you're going just for St. James. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it's, it's fascinating. I, I'm I'm just looking at the statistics statistics again here, and I see that 93% of the people walk, uh, 7% ride uh, bikes. Uh, in 2017, 400 people rode a horse. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah, 43 uh, went on wheelchairs, which is great to see that they're um, they're opening up the accessibility for for people uh, with special needs. Yeah, yeah. We met uh, we met somebody who was uh, in a wheelchair, and he talked to his friend about doing that. Um, and his friend said, I'll push you. And they made a, they made a documentary out of it, but we actually met, I think the documentary is called I'll push you, but we, we met them along the way and pretty crazy story. Pretty impressive. Uh, he was just pushing his friend because his friend wanted to, to walk her or do the community of Santiago. And he had a little sign that said, if anyone wants to help as, as they were walking, uh, so people would take turns and push him a little while and another person push him a little while. And then his friend would take over again, but pretty inspirational stuff. Yeah, that's that's good. It it makes you um, it kind of makes your blood boil uh, when you when you hear these kind of you know impressive stories of overcoming you know personal struggles, and then you know you encounter people as you have, and as you mentioned in the book, who um, are doing like a hop on, hop off, a hop off taxi tour of <laughs> of the Camino. <laughs> And you know, you, right? Yeah, I think yeah. that there's a part in the book where you're 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 resisting the urge to to uh, judge them silently, um, but you're right. There is, you know, I think, you know, part of the benefits come from the struggle involved with with the walk. It's by no means from I've never walked on it, but from what I understand, by no means is is it an easy walk, right? It's how do you do you recall yeah, no. how long it is? Yeah, it's, it's about 490 miles, um, wow. 490. So it took us 33 days. And of those, that my knee swelled up to the size of a small orange and my Achilles heel swelled up to about the same size. So we we had to stop after about 20 days so I didn't permanently injure myself. But it's tough. Some people, you know, some people just breeze through it for whatever reason. Um, but a lot, most people, I would say the majority struggle with this, the physicality of it at least a little bit during their during right. their trek. I don't think anybody will, will call you out for taking a rest, right? Or taking a train to take a <laughs> right. rest, uh, especially when you have an yeah. injury. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, and so you started in, in France, crossed the Pyrenees, and then w- headed west um, along northern Spain, right? Is that the route you took? Exactly. So that's that's the most traditional route. Um, yeah, you start in Saint Jean Pied de Port in France. You cross the Pyrenees Mountains on the first day, and then uh, kind of drop down into Pamplona. Eventually, you go through uh, the Rioja wine region and sort of make your way across the top of Spain that direction. Hmm. And it took you it took you about forty or sorry, thirty days to to complete. Yeah, just about 30, 33 days. Um, if I had to do it all over again, I would have given myself 40 days. So I would have had some built-in rest days for my swelling to go down. It's <laughs> mm. probably smart. Unfortunately, many yeah. people don't have that luxury <laughs> to exactly, take 40 days. Exactly. It's yeah. part of the problem with uh, modern man, right? We, uh, we're living, right. we're living right. to work and we don't have time for, you know, these experiences, unfortunately. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, you know, reading your book, you 
you talk a little bit about, I don't know, there's a, a running theme here, a current of, you know, this quest for being mindful of, of the present moment. Is that an insight that you gained on the Camino or is this, does this have a, an older history in your life? Do you get this from Amy? Like where, where does, where does this come from? Yeah, I would say a lot of that comes from my wife, Amy. She's a, she's actually a mindfulness coach for kids. Oh, there uh, we that's go. Her job. <laughs> so, uh, a lot of times when, you know, when we're walking and I'm struggling or worrying about something that may or may not happen, she would subtly remind me that, you know, that that's, that's not a reality right now. Come back to right now. You're in Spain, you're walking, you're, you know, enjoy this. You're going to look back and, and, and wish you were a little bit more present. Um, I think the more you do that, the more, the more I walk, the more, the more I travel and sort of really really try to be mindful and in the moment. I, I oftentimes don't allow myself to bring my phone, uh, which at first drove me crazy because you want to get that Instagram shot, that <laughs> perfect oh, yeah. picture. Um, and, you know, there's this, in, in Granada, uh, for example, there's a sunset that you can watch over over the Alhambra, which is a giant castle in the middle of the city. And you, you'll sit in that square and you're just kind of watching the sunset. It's, it's gorgeous. It's, it's one of the prettiest sunsets in the world. And, I would say three fourths of the people are watching it through their phone and they just don't put it down. There's filming <laughs> and you're sitting there thinking, I don't know if you're going to watch that video again, put the phone down and just, just experience this. Um, so for me, mindfulness has been a way to travel better, uh, better, my, my description of better, um, you know, no more power to people who like, like to, you know, take a lot of pictures and that's fine for myself though. Uh, mindfulness has been a way for me to experience things a little bit more richly and deeply and, you know, uh, I'm I obviously, uh, if you've made it this far in the conversation, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a deep thinker. I, 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 I'm a, I'm more of a philosopher type of personality and I like to think about things. Uh, but mindfulness, uh, for me on the Camino and in travel is, is just a way to experience it more fully. And it translates to life too, which is a great uh, side effect of travel. Right. And it, it, mindfulness in particular helps, um, I found kind of, um, unclutter or declutter, the mind and you also, yeah, focusing on, on the present moment, but also being aware of, of how powerful your thoughts are and how, how distracting they can be, um, taking you away from the present Absolutely. moment. Right? It's Absolutely. the mind is ping ponging. Yeah. You know, you have this pinball machine in your mind and thoughts just bounce around. And this is a way to kind of to, to ground you in, in the moment and to, to realize that, you know, the thoughts are not you, right? Your memories of, you know, they were talking about this in, in kind of some of the mindfulness books I've been reading is that who you are is not uh, the contents of your consciousness, right? So, you know, your history, for example, your worries about the future, this is not who you are. You are the thing that is thinking about those things at the moment. So it's a very helpful practice and to kind of, you know, exactly, look at yourself exactly, in, yeah. in the mirror and kind of separate yourself from you know, the goings on of the day and in, in modern life. So it's kind of like a, a, a detox, a mental detox, if you will. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's, 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 that's cool. Um, well, yeah, I do like to take a lot of Instagram pictures as you know, but, uh, 
Yeah, you're right. There's some, there's... <laughs> hey, I do too. I do too. I take them as well. But I usually on the trip, I'll, I'll uh, you know, I'll force myself one day at least on a week trip or something to leave the phone at home. But uh, I also love Instagram, so I'm not not dissing it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So the the growth is, is something that is um, not just physical, right, but also also mental. Let's um, if if you if you don't mind um talk a little bit about how f- fruitful uh, this experience or this relationship really that you've had with Spain uh, is, right? You've um, obviously you, you lived there for a few years and it seems that that experience is a gift that keeps on giving, right? You've written uh, a book about your experience walking along the Camino, which will link all of these books in the show notes. Um, and you've written another book about, uh, I think it's called Finding Tiger, if I'm not mistaken, a book about uh, a young man's uh, journey to Spain. Exactly. Right. Yes. Yeah. Can you, can yeah, you so tell it, us a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the experience was very fruitful. It was, uh, I think, I think you and I sort of talked about this at one point messaging back and forth, but yeah, the experience was, was so fertile for just life experiences and life changes and sort of a cataclysmic shift in life for me. Um, so I've just been drawn to write about it. So I, I did the, the, uh, sunrises to Santiago. And then my next book was, uh, fiction, um, uh, and talks about, you know, the character in my story sort of has a similar, similar kind of, uh, you know, struggle with life. What am I doing with my life? What is my true North? What, what am I doing? Um, so it's loosely, you know, obviously you write what you know, so loosely based on my experiences, and to write about Spain was easy since um, I had just been there. So, uh, so it was extremely fruitful for all of that. Um, and I'm working on on a current book that uh, obviously uh, takes place in Spain as well. And then um, in the future, I, I definitely will be going back to Spain at some point. It was just a really, really fantastic experience. So it has provided a lot of creative inspiration. Um, so if you have writer's block for me, if I have writer's block or I'm just not feeling inspired by anything really, my answer is usually to go on a trip. <laughs> and sometimes it's a ridiculously long trip. So Right, and to have experiences that feed and the, the creativity that results. Now, I, I, I heard you on uh, another podcast. I think it was the called John of All Trades, if, if I'm not mistaken. But in that podcast... Yes, yeah. Um, in that interview, you said that um, this next book that you're working on, Frozen Olive Oil, uh, that it would be your last about Spain, or at least that time in Spain. Is that is that That's still exactly, current? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, that will be the last uh, last of uh, of that time in Spain. Um, I'm thinking about going back to Spain uh, at some point. Um, and not to not to get terribly serious, but so my you know, currently my wife and I are, are are going through IVF, which is if anybody's experienced IVF, it's uh, infertility treatments, and it's it's a nightmare. Um, so once we get through this ter- very challenging year, um, our idea is to go try to go back to Spain <laughs> and possibly walk a different route. Uh, the Camino del Norte is calling to me, which is the northern route of the Camino de Santiago. It's it's along San Sebastian and along the ocean route, um, and uh, it's just a therapeutic thing. So I'm sure I'll go back, and who knows, I might write about that experience as well, um, <laughs> and the trials and tribulations of IVF. <laughs> right, right. 
so do I hear that you're, you're thinking about having a child? Yeah. Yeah. We have been for a while. Um, and how is that going to impact your, your walk? <laughs> right. Yeah. So I, obviously, I mean, what I've learned this year, it's, it's, it's really a, it's a struggle. And you, anybody that's ever been through that or knows somebody, the more, more I share with people, the, the more I, I realize it's, it's a little more common than I thought it was. I never even heard of it before mm-hmm. uh, having to do it. Um, but uh, yeah, so, so my, my idea, you know, uh, we're probably going to be pretty untraditional parents. Um, I read stories of people that really inspire me that, that are able to have kids, and hopefully we will be. At, at this point, I have no idea if it's going to work. Um, certainly been challenging, and it it's, uh, hasn't worked for a year, so uh, you know, hopefully our luck changes. Uh, but if we do, I'll definitely be one of those parents that, um, you know, I want to share the gift of travel with my kid um, if, if we're able to have one. Uh, so what does that look like? Uh, I'm really inspired by people that, um, I mean, geez, on the Camino, I met a bunch of people that had kids and would walk it for a week or, um, a friend of mine just, uh, she has two kids and she, uh, just rented a sailboat and she pulled her kid out of school for, uh, her kids out of school for a year to go homeschool and, and sail around the Mediterranean and, and have life experiences and, learn another language. So that, that'll be, that'll be the plan wow. <laughs> if it happens. <laughs> that sounds like a, a wonderful, wonderful childhood, um, a difficult one to be, to be sure, but uh, a wonderful one, an unconventional yeah. one. I think one that uh, resonates with, with anyone who's ever spent any significant amount of time, uh, time abroad yeah. and they know, they know the type of benefits and kind of physical and intellectual, a growth that comes with travel, right? Yeah, exactly. And and who knows? I, I have no idea what it's like to be a parent. So, uh, <laughs> but I am inspired by. I know it's possible <laughs> to do some of those things. <laughs> I, I hear you're in, you're uh, you're going to be in a world of pain, sleepless nights. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so and so is the is the writing going pretty well for you now? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's. Uh, I'm in the editing process, which you know um, of the next book. It's uh, it's the editing process for me is the most challenging. Everything else, uh, you know, it comes out a little bit more organically. Um, but uh, going through all the grammar and and <laughs> and, mm. and making edits uh, of feedback that I get that's that's been difficult. Um, but it's it's challenging. Uh, I, I heard one writer describe the editing process is pushing an eraser across the football field uh, with your nose and your hands tied behind your back. So wow. <laughs> that's, that's sometimes <laughs> the experience of, of the editing process. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I guess when you're at the editing part, though, most of the hard work is already done, right? You just, there's a lot of hard work ahead, but most of the, the hard creative work uh, is done. So you just have to kind of tighten tighten things up so i think uh you're at a you're at a stage in the game where it's rewarding and it's it's a it's a long slog right but it's it's rewarding and right. you can see the light at the yeah. end of the tunnel do you exactly. have do you have a exactly. deadline when this new book will will be out you know i should and it keeps passing <laughs> um, <laughs> i i had one it, it uh, i blew past that i figured i'd have this done uh, by summer last summer so um, I hope to, I hope to have it done by, by spring. I think that's a realistic deadline. So that's, that's my goal right now. Yeah, good. Well, well, we look forward to, um, 
reading that and maybe we can have another conversation after after that one is finished and whatever the iteration of that looks like when it's when it's done do you have any um kind of tips or pieces of advice that you would give to to any aspiring writers or any 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 writers who are also uh, travelers do you have any words of wisdom there yeah i mean um for me um you know to start the process was the hardest part and to every writer has that little voice inside them that kind of says who am i to write this story right you know what do why would somebody listen to what i have to say imposter syndrome um, it sounds like there exactly 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 that's exactly right imposter syndrome um so to get over that is the first hurdle and you know everybody could write a book um maybe not everybody but most people can um, and not a lot of people get past that first sort of fear, um, and, and get past that and just write. Uh, so for me, just getting past that imposter syndrome, writing a story, working that story and keeping with it, the persistence part is the hardest part. Um, books are not for me, not a quick, uh, quick hitting, uh, I can't write a novel in, in six months and, and expect it to be done. It, you know, it takes years for me. Uh, on average, it's been a couple of years per book. So it takes time. But my advice would be don't write because you want to be a writer. Uh, and you think that's a, a great profession to have. Write because you love writing, because that will carry you through to the finished product and the finished book. Um, and that will carry you uh, on the long trek because it's a marathon. Um, so, so, so I would say make sure you enjoy the process before you jump in. <laughs> right we're we're recording this in in November and you know there's NaNoWriMo um National Novel, Novel Writing Month and I know you're not participating in that cuz you're editing but um this is a way I think many people um to help many people get motivated to write a book there's a you know this large kind of uh, global experience of people writing books and posting their word counts every day and trying to reach their goal to write a novel in the month of November, which I think is ludicrous because of the holidays, but it's, it's, a, it's a nice <laughs> shot in the arm, right. To help, help people get motivated. Um, sure. You're not, you're not doing anything with that this month, are you? No, I, I, I definitely understand the benefit of that. And, 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 uh, it just doesn't motivate me. It stresses mm. me out if I, if I'm, if I'm on a <laughs> sort of a sort of a track like that. So I know it works for a lot of people though. Um, for me, what has worked best is just to be around other writers and, and sort of try to meet up with them once a week and, and sort of have some accountability. You know, hey, Gabe, uh, did you finish that chapter yet you were talking about two months ago or, you know, things like that. Uh, there's a really great writer's place in, in Denver called Lighthouse um, Writers writer Studio. And basically you have classes and, and get togethers and write-a-thons and things like that. So uh, as a writer, if you want to be a writer, there's plenty of ways to motivate yourself <laughs> depending on your personality <laughs> so the the creative scene the your your creative circle in denver is is is, is a, it's a good group there yeah and that's another thing you know it's it's really helpful to have a creative uh, sort of as you said a circle around you and people you can bounce ideas off of you've been one of those for me um which has been fantastic and and just people that whose, whose opinions you you really respect um who aren't going to tell you what you want to hear all the time because that's what you need. You need constructive uh, 
criticism sometimes as opposed to, you know, your aunt Nancy who, who loves it. Just Everything no is matter great. What you put out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> my wife is, is definitely one of those people. I, I think she'd write anything I like. So she reads things, but uh, <laughs> it's usually not as good as my, my, my creative circle of other, other people giving feedback. So yeah. well, maybe that's she, really important. And, maybe yeah. she's just not yeah. an asshole, Gabe. <laughs> maybe not. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, cool. Well, um, we're getting kind of uh, close to our, our time here. And um, so I guess before we, we close this out, um, can you give us some social media links? How can we find you online? What are What's your web address? We can put all these in the show notes as well, but just give uh, the listeners a, th- a sense of where they can find you. Yeah, e- easiest place to go uh, where you can find everything is, is gabrielsherm.com. Uh, Sherm, S-C-H-I-R-M. It means umbrella in German. Side side note. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know. Yes. And there you can find um, links to your your work, your books, your Instagram, your Twitter, all of that good stuff there. Exactly. Yes. yes. Sounds good, man. I, I I said it before. We need to meet up for a hike. Hopefully, before um, you're you're burdened with with child. Um, we need to meet up and and go for a, wo- a walk and spend some time. Um, again, it's, it's been, it's been a while. I, I don't, I, in fact, I don't remember when it was the last time we saw each other. Do you have any recollection? I don't, I believe it, it may have been, uh, I think it was in Spain at, at some point. Um, I had to have been in Seville. I don't think I saw you yeah, in Granada. I think you're right. yeah, yeah. yeah, I think you're right. I think you're exactly right. Yeah. It may have been New Year's at some point. I don't remember what year, but I think we saw you then. <laughs> 2010. Um, New Year's, perhaps you were you and Amy were passing through, and uh, yeah, sometime around then, I think. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah, that's exactly. Nearly yeah. eight years, so we need to um, not wait that that long again and go for a walk and just hang out. Sounds good, my friend. I, I look forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> good man. Well, thanks for taking the time to have a talk with me and. Uh, yeah, we'll 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 be in touch and I hope to to read this new book when it's all said and done. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me on. I You're appreciate welcome. it. It's good to talk to you, Gabe. I hope you enjoyed this episode of All Over the Place. Please consider supporting the show if you find it valuable. You can do this by subscribing to the podcast in your favorite app, reviewing it, following me on social media, or by supporting the show directly via Patreon. Links can be found in the show notes and on alloverthepodcast.com. Thanks for your support and farewell.